So I'm excited about today's message, and I have a parable that I want to share with you. You know what a parable is, right? It's an earthly story with a heavenly message. That's the way Jesus used to teach. He used to tell a parable, and everybody kind of looked at him like, yeah, we know about the farmer, we know about the seed, we know about all that stuff. But then the disciples would ask him, what does that mean? And so he would explain them to him. So uh, we're going to share a story, a parable, that, frankly, you just look at it and you think, oh, well, there's not much to that. But then if you get down deeper into it, you say, oh, I understand what that's all about. Praise the Lord. So we're talking about this month, our mission and our vision, our vision and our mission. And so the, our vision is what? Let's say it together. Reaching people's hearts with the love of Christ. Too easy, too simple, Right? All we have to do is have the heart of Christ reaching out and touching someone. You know, Bill Hybels wrote a book called Walk Across the Room. In other words, sometimes you just have to come out of yourself and go and walk and meet somebody where they're at, understand what their situation is, and be a difference in their life. You know, as a salesman, they taught us that when you walk into a, a buyer's office, you look at their desk, you look at the pictures, you look at what's on the wall to figure out what interests them, what is it that's on their mind. And I know one time I was visiting, visiting Charles at World Vision, and uh, the, the, the top lawyer, I don't know what they call him, general counsel was there. And he was a guy that didn't talk much. You ever meet people like that? <laughs> and so I went in there, and he introduced me to him. And then so I started looking. I said, oh, I see he's got a picture of USC. He's got his kid there playing football. So I began talking to him, and Charles left. I was in there for 30 minutes talking to him. And he, I came out, and Charles said, well, what, how did you get him to talk? I just talked about what he was interested in. And you know, when you do that, people open up, and they'll share hearts, and then you can find out where they're at, so you can make a difference in their life. Praise the Lord. And the Bible says, the scripture says, go ye. Go ye with the slide. Go ye, therefore, and do what? Make, go ahead, let's do it. Make disciples of just the people you want to, you know, just the, the, the nice people, the good people, the pleasant-smelling people, the people that don't get in your way. No, go ye, therefore. Now, see, the go here is implied. That means you go. And you remember how some people say, you talking to me? You talking to me. yes. He's talking to us. Go ye into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And it says down here, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always and even to the end of the age. In other words, he's saying, I'm with you. We go together and we'll make a difference in somebody's life. Praise God. And so our mission, our vision was to reach others with the love of Christ. Our mission is uh, S-A-V-E which means what? Save. Isn't that what Jesus did? He came to save those that were lost. So Jesus is not here anymore. So we as his disciples have to do what? Save those that are lost. So let's look at the, uh, our, our, uh, how you do that, our mission, starting with S, starting friendships with others through fellowship and active engagement. You start the friendship. You be the difference maker. You don't wait for people to come to you. You go to them. You observe and find out what they need to do. Now, we know that Jesus uh, uh, ministered to the multitudes, did he not? But what we fail to, fail to realize is he also ministered to individuals a lot. He was so busy, he didn't, if someone was sick, he didn't say, well, uh, come to the meeting tonight and I'll lay hands on you and you'll get healed. No, he healed them right there. 
He would start friendships. He would find Zacchaeus up in a tree. He would find the woman at the well. He would find uh, the, woman at the, the man at the pool of Bethesda. He ministered to individuals. And that's what we're supposed to do too. Praise the Lord. So our mission is to S, start friendships. A, adopting people into the family of God through love, service, and sacrifice. Now, Terry did a wonderful job last week talking about adopting people. Afterwards, I talked to her, and she said, yeah, you reminded me of how it was when I was growing up. <coughs> Excuse me. We had a Thanksgiving dinner, and all these strangers were there, people I had never met before. She asked her parents, can we have Thanksgiving where we're just us and not these people that I've never seen before? And her mom was like a collector of people. One, she told me one time, they dropped off this baby, this woman dropped off this baby who was three months old, and they said, she said, I'll be back in a couple days. Guess what? Nine years later, she came and said, okay, I'm ready to pick up. Where have you been? <coughs> so that, they took adopting to a whole new level, didn't she? And so we can't meet that standard, but at least we can adopt someone in our hearts and in our lives. Now, today we're going to talk about this next, the V, valuing God's call on people's lives through spiritual mentoring and discipleship. Amen? So I'm not going to talk about, we're going to talk about that as in the message. And our mission is to empower next week people with the Holy Spirit to reach others for Christ. Praise God. So let me ask you, we're talking about valuing. What's valuable to you? Your children? Your parents? Some of you, it's your pets? Could be a simple thing, like maybe something, somebody gave you a statue or a picture or a piece of clothing, and it's va you, you love it so much. I've seen people just go berserk if they lose a cup that was a part of their collection. It's okay, it's just a cup, it's gonna be okay, you know, but they just, oh, it's so valuable to me. How about if you lost all your valuables in a fire? Wouldn't that be devastating? We have a, a relative that lived in Malibu, and they lost everything. House burned to the ground. They didn't get to save any pictures, important uh, papers. You talk about being separated from stuff. But, so they gave us a Christmas card. It says, love, all we have is love. <laughs> and when you have all that, who do you call on? Jesus. Now, here's an interesting thing. How many of you uh, know that keys can be valuable, right? This key right here is just a little metal and got little points in there. But guess what? If you don't have this little key, that 5,000-pound car that you have out there is not going to move. And your whole life is going to change because you don't have this valuable key. All of a sudden, this key becomes so valuable that if you don't find it, your life is a mess. You got to find somebody to help you, get, go to another place, got to find a key, right? I can't use your key, but it does, why would my whole life change over this, just this little key? But God says, you're valuable to him. And even though we're just a one person in a whole complex of world, we're valuable to him. He doesn't want us to be lost he wants to have a plan for us. You fit into a plan. He has a plan that he, he fits for you. And uh, have you ever been separated from your keys and been, been locked out of your house? Anybody? 
terrible feeling, isn't it? You may own the house, you have the, the deed, been there for 20 years, but if you don't have that little key, you're going to be outside, you're going to be just like everybody else on the street. And let's, let's look at a picture here of this guy. You know, look at, I can't get into my own house. I've been there, sometimes you'd be out there for an hour or so, waiting for somebody. You're just lucky the police don't come by and say, what are you doing here? It's my house, I can't get into it. But how about when you, you just go for, to desperate measures? Have you ever done this and, and trying to get in this way? I've been <laughs> my son said, that looks like you, Dad. That looks like our house, and you know, you do all the calisthenics trying to get in, and you, you know how you, you fall down like that? <laughs> Sometimes you break stuff <laughs> just trying to get into your own house. How valuable it is. But Jesus thinks of us as being valuable. He's looking for us all the time. Remember how in the Garden of Eden, he says, Adam, where are you? I want, you, I want to be with you. So we're going to talk about a parable here. Jesus had some parables that he, that he had. He had three back to back to back. One was the parable of the lost sheep. You remember that? He had 100 sheep. He couldn't find the one, so he told the 99, stay right here. I'm going to go find that lost sheep. In our minds, we're thinking, you got 99. Just stay with the 99. That other sheep, let him go. Let him go. You know, God doesn't think that way. You may be just one person, but he's not going to give up on you. He's untiring. He'll go through any extent of hardship to find that one, to find you. You might be hiding. You may be lost. You may be doing the wrong things. He says, I still want you. Isn't that nice? Then we have the parable of the 10 coins where the woman lost uh, one coin. She had nine left. And the way we think about it is, hey, it'll turn up. It'll Don't worry. You got nine that, you know, one day, sooner or later, you'll find it. But sometimes it's valuable to you, and you want to find it right now. Have you ever done that where you've been looking for something, and you go around the house three or four times, you can't find it? Marianne's good at finding stuff, so I go, Marianne, help me. Sometimes she does, sometimes she doesn't. <laughs> I lost my keys the, uh, this week, and I couldn't imagine where they were. I looked all over. I came to the church. I looked, where are those keys? And sometimes you just have to relax and let who help you? The Holy Spirit, yeah. He, he, he's in charge of lost and found. Because he's with you, he knows you, he can tell you, you know, you left him over here. So I'm driving around, coming back from church, and he goes, remember you put him in your coat pocket, the one that you don't hardly ever use. If, I, if he hadn't have told me that, I, it would have been probably a year before I found him. You ever done that? You, you look for something, you can't find it, and then you have to get something else, and then all of a sudden you go, oh, there it is. I've seen him show me stuff that fell down uh, a staircase, and I never would have found it if I just hadn't accidentally just looked down. So the Holy Spirit is in charge of um, lost and found. Okay, so let's look at this here. We're going to look, oh, and then, the, you know, the, the prodigal son, right, where he's lost, and the father looks for him, waits for him, and welcomes him back. So we're going to spend today talking about the parable of the lost coin. Now, at first glance, you think, this is just a simple story. Let's, look at, let's read it. Hopefully that guy made it in. Okay, Luke 15, verse 1 through 2. Then all, say all, 
the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, it's amazing that sinners would eat with Jesus. Isn't that amazing? If you're a sinner, are you going to hang out with the preacher? No. If you're sinning and you're doing bad stuff and the pastor's coming over, he said, I want you to eat with the pastor. Oh, no, please. He's going to condemn me. He's going to put me down. He's going to tell me I need to come to church. No, I'm not going to do that. But, but the sinners were compelled to want to be near Jesus, to listen to him and hear him. Do we have that same effect on people? Do they want to be near us? Because we have the joy of the Lord like Marian was talking about. Do we have something that we can deposit and give to them? But these guys did. They drew near to him. Now, <laughs> the Pharisees and scribes complained because the people that Jesus was hanging out with didn't smell good, look good, or act good. You know, they're the, 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 the people that everyone hated. Do you have any people like that that you, you know, know that no one wants to be with them? But you can make up that difference. I remember when I was in high school, I had a good friend of mine who knew Catherine Coleman. How many of you know Catherine Coleman, famous evangelist? Yes. This lady was like worldwide known for healing and for ministering. And she came to our high school. Can you believe that? But me, just the good old sinner. <laughs> and he said, you ought to come and listen to her. I go, all right, I'll peek in, you know. So she's talking and I peek in. I go, that's the funniest looking lady I ever saw. What is she doing, you know? <laughs> and I just left. What was I thinking? Because I didn't want to be in the same presence with a holy person. But not with Jesus. Jesus went where no one would go. Praise God. And the Bible says he was a friend of sinners. A friend. What does a friend do? They eat and drink with them. And when you did that in the old days, you, like, you, you, you associated with them. You agreed. You, you, uh, you know, what is the word? You, you, you know, associated with them. Hmm? You fellowship with them. You know, you, you, you made their life seem like it was okay. But he, convict, they, he convicted them, not sometimes even by talking, but just by his spirit. Zacchaeus said, I've been with you, Lord, and you know what? I'm going to give half of what I own to the poor, and if I've wronged anybody, I'm going to give them sevenfold. Now, Jesus didn't say that. In fact, that's even more than what the Old Testament said. But so let's look at this, this uh, parable. What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp? She does three things. She lights a lamp, sweeps the house, and searches diligently until she finds it. Three things. She lights a lamp. What does that mean? She allows the Holy Spirit to see in darkness what the Lord is trying to tell her, right? How do you go get the lost in a natural way? How do you go and reach somebody if you're just using your words and your thoughts? Because usually what we say is, you know, you're doing wrong. You know, you need to stop. You need to, you know, clean up your act. You need to do what you're supposed to do. But the Spirit of the Lord will tell you something that you can say that cuts right to the heart and makes a difference in their life. Then she sweeps the house. What does that mean? She gets rid of all the distractions, all the things that would hold her back. The TV, the sports the shopping, everything that distracts us because we're so consumed about what we want, what we need to do. She sweeps the house so she can find it, and she searches how? Diligently until she finds it. It doesn't say she searches until she gets tired. 
She doesn't say she searches until it gets late. She doesn't say she searches until she just gets fed up or tired or discouraged. She searches until she diligently finds it. You know, God doesn't give up on you. He keeps searching, searching, reaching towards us, even though it doesn't seem like we're worth anything. But to her, this coin meant something to her. Let's go to the next slide and I'll show you. Yeah. She lost her coin. Why was that so important? Because what they would do, they put that on their headdress and that was something that they wore and then they used it for a wedding. They would use it, for, you know, have the headdress for the wedding. And so when she lost that part of her headdress, it was like having, you know, teeth with something missing. And so she was distraught. It was part of her plan to be in the wedding. Guess what? When you're lost, you're a missing part in God's plan on this earth. Did you know that's how important you are? If you don't do what you're supposed to do, God has to find somebody else to do it. And only you can do what you can do. Amen? He's given you talents and gifts to go out and reach others the way you do. Just like I was there for Evangeline and Steve, I was, I was the man because I love them. I've been with them. So God used me. He wants to use you in every area that you can be a difference in somebody's life. Praise the Lord. So what does this woman represent that's searching for the coin? Anybody have a guess? Jesus, said our Holy Ghost woman here. And at first glance, you would think, but Jesus is not here anymore. God's up in heaven. Guess who this woman signifies? You ready? <laughs> I get so excited when I see this. It's the church. Why? Because in the Bible, the church is often referred to as a she. She's the bride of Christ. She's the wife of the lamb. She's the virgin that God has set aside. She is the church. God wants to use the church to go find the lost. Jesus is in heaven. Who's the church? Us is. Amen. <laughs> That's how important we are. And what does he do? What, what, what does the church do? He's, next, next slide. He, she sweeps. Where is that? Oh, is it in the bar? Is he, you know, stuck in sin somewhere at work? Where is it down the street in our neighborhood? Where is that lost piece, that lost coin that becomes a part of God's plan? I can remember that so well when I joined this other church that I was there for 18 years. And I went there and I, I said, well, Lord, you know, this is a good church. I like the church, but I'm going to look around for it for a while. And he was so stern with me. He said, you asked me for a church. I showed you a church. What do you need to look around for? And I said, oh my gosh, I never heard the Lord talk that way. Why? Because he had planned everything for me to come into that church to help them get out of debt. They were $100,000 in debt. He had prepared me and showed me how to believe God for money. And I'm going to come around with my lackadaisical self. I'm just going to look around. And he was mad at me. And I said, yes, sir. 18 years I stayed there. Got him out of debt and everything was fine. But you know what? God, the Bible says that he brings uh, people to the church as he pleases. He, he, he appoints them and shows them what they're supposed to do. So when you're here, if you're here, you're supposed to be doing something to help the church. And I'm so thankful that we have people that do that. 
I could go around and name everybody here. But, you know, they do something to help out with the church to help God fulfill his plan on this earth. So we are the church to reaching out. So let's go back to the, uh, the uh, scripture in Luke 15 where it talks about the woman having 10 silver coins. If she loses one coin, she freaks out. She lights a lamp. She sweeps the house, searches diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, what does she do? Calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice! Let's have a party. I have found the peace which I lost. And I'm sure the neighbors said, chill, lady. <laughs> it's just a coin, okay? Can you imagine the invitation? Come to the party. What reason? I found my coin. Oh, la-di-da. <laughs> have a good day. <laughs> Let's go and see how, how, there they are. Let's have a party. <laughs> We've been born again. So they're, they're having a good old time rejoicing in the Lord. Now, what does the Bible say? The next scripture, Luke 15, 10. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You can be an instrument to bring a party into heaven. Now, if you're bringing parties into heaven, God's going to say, we need to help that person. We need to keep him employed. He's doing our work for us, right? The angels can't save you. Jesus is on the throne. Jesus, uh, God's, you know, on the throne. Jesus is at the right hand. Who's left? He's got to use our arms, our legs, our mind, our hands to do what God has called us to do. Now, why is this so important? Let's look at this in Psalms 139.16. You know, you always hear this. Do you ever hear this? God has a plan for you. You hear that all the time, right? Well, where is the plan? <laughs> show me where the plan is. I'm going to show you. It says right here. My eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none. God has a book about you. Isn't that cool? Got your name on it, Lily. Lily Goucher, here's your book. Let me, let me show you the book. This could be the book right here. There it is. Your story, Lily. Let's go. What page do you want to go to? <laughs> you want to go past, present, or future? Oh, it says right here, you're in the service. <laughs> Pastor's looking at you. Okay. You're doing children's church. Let's go back. Let's go in the future and find out. Oh, you're going to have some little hard times here, but that's okay. God said he's going to deliver. He's going to take care of you. Oh, you're going to keep going. Uh-huh. You're going to minister to the children. God has a book about you. And guess what the angels are supposed to do? They have the books in heaven. They've got to find out how to get this activated and, and, and um, what's the word? Got to make sure it's, it's implemented into your life. They're coaxing you. They're moving you. They're getting you to the right place. Let's see the, uh, yeah, uh, the next. Um, the Living Bible says, You saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. That means before the foundation of the earth. Lily, 
He had a plan for you. He already knew you, what you were supposed to do before you were even born. So when you woke up, when you came out of the mother's womb, you didn't say, oh, this is my first day of my life. What am I going to do? God said, I already know what you're going to do. What did James say? <laughs> I know the plans that I have for you, for good and not for evil, to give you a future, to give you a hope. Every day was recorded in whose book? His book that has you in it. Let's see this next scripture. Look at this. In Revelation 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books, books, your book, your book, your book, your book, your book. They start opening up the books. And, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. But the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books of your life. We need to fulfill what God has called us to do. Now, here's the thing. Can I help you with this? I'm trying to do illustrations so that you can, can figure this out. How long are we here on this earth? Ah, 60, 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 if you're lucky. How long is that compared to eternity? Yeah, let's, let's, let's show them, Pastor Charlie. Okay, here's your life right here. Let's stretch it out like this, this way. Okay, your life, what, compared to eternity, just a blip, just a vapor, right? Back up so they can see. Just a vapor, just a small little, whoop, 67 years. But compared to what? Eternity? How long is eternity? Keep going, keep going, keep going. 5,000 years, 10,000 years. 15,000 years, 20,000 years, 40,000 years, 100,000 years, we're rewarded for eternity on what we do in this little space. Why am I preaching so hard? Please, do what's in the book in your little frame. Otherwise, you're going to miss out on an eternity of blessings. Is that too easy to understand? Praise the Lord. <laughs> I rest my case. <laughs> Counselor. <laughs> so we have to know that. So let's look at this here. Do I, did I make myself perfectly clear? All right. Let's go on. So how, how do we do this? How do we minister? As, as we were talking about, by spiritually, mentally, uh, spiritually mentoring and discipling others along the way. Not just witness to them, but come alongside of them and grab them and just walk with them. Say, okay, you know what? Avoid that. Don't do that. Watch for this. And, and, and you ask them questions like, how can we develop your Bible study so we can get more growth from God? How can you overcome the situations that you're facing? You, you mentor them. You walk with them. You talk with them. Praise the Lord. So what is a mentor? It's an experienced and trusted advisor. So how do you mentor or disciple somebody? Do you just pick somebody off the street? Hey, come here. I'm going to mentor you. Okay, follow me. Come on. No. I took a class in this. You're supposed to find someone that you connect with. Isn't that right? Malaysia, have you taken that class yet? No. This is free, no charge. <laughs> you find someone that, that they like what you have, and you like who they are. 
And they have to figure, I want to be like him. Not like Mike, but like the person that you are. I realized this when I, first, I went to that church that God told me to go to. I saw the assistant pastor, and I saw how he flowed with the people, how he smiled, how he loved the people. He could go into a room of like 100-plus people and in 15 minutes say hello to everybody. I go, how does he do that? Hello, Charlie, good to see you. Everything going good? The wife's going good? Praise God, good to see you. Okay, Malaysia, wonderful. How's school going? Oh, I'm so praying for you, okay? He would just go boo, 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 all the way through. I go, that's pretty good. I want, to, I want to be like him. So what I did is I did whatever he needed in the natural. If he needed his lawn mode, if he needed his kids being babysat, if he needed one way to work in children's church, whatever he wanted. And then while we were walking, while we were talking, I would ask him, well, how do you do this? And how do you do that? And what kind of things do you do? I remember one time Mario Murillo. How many of you know Mario Murillo? A super, super uh, evangelist, powerful man of God. And so... The way I got to know him, he used to come to our church, and so I was in charge of the big-name people when they came through. So I attached myself to him because I wanted to see how he did that. And so he ministered at our church at 8 o'clock. We had 8 o'clock and 11 o'clock. He ministered at 8. He got done at 10, and he, he took off and went back to the hotel. I'm going like, man, where did he go? What's up? He comes back at, you know, quarter to 11, does the next service. And so he wanted me to, like, work out with him. So I said, come on, you know. Let's go work out. I hadn't worked out in a couple of years, so I was doing all that I could just to stay with him. The next day, believe me, I felt it. You know, every part of my body was hurting. So I asked him, I go, why did you leave so early on the 8 o'clock? He goes, I don't want to talk about it. I go, what? Just let's keep working out. Okay, so you know me. I don't give up. I said, after about half hour, uh, why did you say again that you left at 8 o'clock? I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Did I give up? No. <laughs> I like what Terry McFadden said. She, I think my son was asking her about something. We were going through some, some troubles, and, and he said, I've known your, your dad for a long time. And no matter what the problem is, he just stays level, just stays constant, just stays steady. I said, oh, that's cool. I like that. That was good. Good compliment. So anyway, I'm staying steady. I'm staying constant with him. I'm going to find out what it was. And so finally, after two hours of working out with him, I said, please tell me. He said, okay, I'll tell you. He goes, I felt so embarrassed because I was trying to minister healing to the people, and I couldn't connect. I couldn't connect with God, and I couldn't connect with the people. And he said, it was a sadden, a grieving in my heart and in my spirit. I said, really? He goes, yeah, there's three things you have to fight when you're ministering. You have to fight yourself, how you feel. You have to fight the faces of the people. Hallelujah. <laughs> Maybe I should just get like one of those poster boards with all the people and they're all smiling. <laughs> and, then, and then you have to fight the devil. The devil's trying to prevent you from doing what you have to do. He says, I just did it. Feel it. And I was embarrassed. And I went back to the hotel and cried out to God. Aha. So the Bible says in Jeremiah, don't look at their faces. Just keep ministering. Like when I was with Evangeline, you know, uh, we were doing the, uh, the, the homegoing services, and I wasn't looking at the people's faces because they looked like, you know, but I just kept ministering. And I, I, I didn't look at them. I, I looked towards God. Then afterwards, I talked to some of the people. I go, did you, uh, uh, 
I, I, she was going to a certain church. I go, are, are you going to go to heaven if you die today? She goes, yeah. I go, how do you know? She says, I said the prayer that you said to pray. And then I asked a couple other people, yeah, I, I received it. I felt the Holy Spirit come into my being. I go, hallelujah. I called my wife and I said, I don't know, man. Uh, Marianne, I, I just felt like I wasn't ministering the way. It wasn't re they weren't receiving it as well. They weren't jumping up and down and shouting and, and then all that stuff. But they were receiving it. Praise the Lord. So I, I, I remember, there's another name, Reinhard Bunke. You guys know Reinhard Bunke? Very, I think he's recorded as having almost as many salvations as Billy Graham. In, you know Reinhard Bunke in Africa. I mean, he preached to hundreds of thousands. So he preached at Pasadena Convention Center, and we were in charge of moving him from, from hither to thither. And uh, so he's in my car, and we're driving, and the same look came on his face. I'm so discouraged. I'm so grieved. And I go, what's the matter? He goes, I wasn't getting the same response that I got in Africa. I've not seen the people receiving their healing. And he was discouraged. And he stopped coming to America because of it. But then he started coming back after a while because he saw that Benny Hinn went over into Africa and he was getting results. He said, well, I mean, it's the same God in Africa as it is in America. And so he found out how to tap into it. So you, you have to find somebody that wants what you have. And you have to find somebody that wants to follow along and do the things that you ask them or call them to do. No good in just telling them stuff and then having them not listen or obey or do the things that you want them to do. Otherwise, you're just casting your pearls before the swine, right? So this is a mandate from the Lord. What does he say? Let's look at the last slide. What does it say? Go, go, ye go, you go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. All I'm trying to do is get you to do what Jesus told you to do. I'm not the bad guy. I'm just relaying the message. Go into, and then that word go doesn't mean go to Africa, go to Indonesia. Didn't you used to think that when you got saved? Well, I guess I'm going to have to go some foreign land and minister. No, it's as you go, make disciples of all nations. As you are going through your life, as you're walking through this journey, keep your eyes open. Be attentive to people that as they are going through life, you may see them suffering. You don't know what they're going through. We were talking to a young lady that says she's inviting someone to the church who tried to commit suicide three times in the last year. That's unheard of. Three times in, in one year. And she's an active, you know, prolific person, successful in business, but you don't know what's going on on the inside. And when you mentor and when you talk with somebody and you disciple them, you listen more than you're teaching. You want to hear by their tone of voice, by what they're saying, sometimes what they're not saying, what is it that's on their heart and on their mind. And when you be quiet and listen to them, they'll reveal the secrets of their heart. And so I'm challenging you, hoping that you'll take heart to this message and want to pay attention to those that... Uh, you come in contact with, make a difference in their life. And our goal for this year is a goal of one. Disciple one. Bring one to the church. Bring one uh, into your uh, fellowship. Make a difference. Just one. Just one, Pastor? Yeah, just start with one. Can I find one? Lord, show me. Give me a divine appointment so that I can be uh, used 
And I was telling last week, my wife went to the, get her nails done. And the lady there, who was uh, the manager, there was a low, and Marianne was able to talk to her, had never heard of Jesus. Can you imagine that? She's from a foreign country, never heard of Jesus. And so Marianne says, let's call, let's talk, let's, let's call each other, talk, and let me come alongside of you and help you. Amen? So let's bow our heads, close our eyes. And let me see a show of hands of those of you that want to take the challenge of allowing God to use you. It's not all on you. It's, it's the Lord working through you. So all you have to do is invite him in to say, Lord, use me. So let me see your hands. I see those hands. Praise God. Okay, let's pray. Father, just repeat after me. Say, Father, I ask you to use me to go forth and make disciples of at least one this year to make a difference in their life. Let it be your divine connection to make a difference and to bring one closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I know I gave the wrong word.
Amen. Amen. So Jesus said, as God has sent me, so I send you out into the world. I thank you, Lord, that as we go, we're going as sent out ones to do your will, to make disciples, to be a difference and a blessing to those that are around us. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives. We thank you that you're with us always, even until the end of time. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and all agreed said, amen. amen.